Thanks for tuning in to the Roundtable Podcast, Episode 47. I'm Brian Humphrey. And I'm Dave Robison. And you're listening to the Roundtable Podcast. Each week on the Roundtable Podcast, Brian and I invite writers to come onto the show and present a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. And then we squish it through our claws like so much gelatinous flesh, stripping out the gristle and the bone <laughs> fragments and spanking that boy into a solid, writable story, something we not so humbly refer to as... Literary, literary gold. gold. <laughs> and I think our I think our guest writer just signed off. Yep, yep, she's gone. <laughs> Gelatinous goo. Oh, Brian, my friend, it has been entirely too long. It is so wonderful to yes, have you has. back in the co-host chair, sir. Thank you, thank you, thank. You. It's good to be back. And and tell us what has been keeping you from from our own pleasant company, good sir. Um, my own little 10-pound ball of gelatinous flesh. His name is Aiden? Yes, his name is Aiden. Yes. I-D-A-N. I guess that it's a, an Israeli name, um, which well, is pronounced very differently. But that's not why we chose it. So Okay. Okay. Not that that would be bad or anything. No, know? certainly not. Certainly not. But it is distinctive. It, it is. is distinct. No one's. I, I mean, and and you can't corrupt it into anything, you know, insulting or dirty. So when he's you know in third grade and people are trying to warp his name, of course Humphrey, he's going to take a lot of shit for that. You know. It. Yeah. Well, that that's kind of you know if if they can't make fun of his first name, we'll have him well prepared for what comes from his good, last name. Good. Yellow yeah, seminar. Yes. Humphrey Free was one. Yeah. Yep, Hump yep. me was one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of really, really excellent uh, suggestions there. Yep, yep. Just, 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 friends, just plop yourself down in a third or fourth grade lunch yard, uh, schoolyard someday, uh, and just listen. Just listen. You'll get all sorts of rich, rich material. Yeah. If you, if you're ever starving for creativity, there you go. Third graders are amazing. <laughs> Well, it's it's wonderful to have you back, sir. And and speaking of starving for a creativity and rich, rich material, uh, what say you? We we welcome back our guest host, shall we? Yes, absolutely. Excellent, uh, ladies and gentlemen, author of Twenty Years Later and From Dark Places, uh, and the soon to be coming out in March two thousand thirteen from Angry Robot Books, Split Worlds. Uh, we are so delighted and pleased to welcome back to the big comfy chair at the round table, Emma Newman. Emma, thank you so much for coming back and helping us workshop a story today. That's so awesome. It is my deep pleasure. <laughs> now, now, Emma, I, I know that with Split Worlds, you're cranking out literally a story a week. You're audioing that bad boy. You're emailing it out. That's coming. Regale our listeners, if you would, for a bit on, on the wonders that are coming out from the desk of Emma Newman. <laughs> yes, I, um, I rather... Perhaps unwisely, but also with glorious abandon, decided <laughs> at the beginning of uh, this project to uh, write a year and a day of short stories set in the split worlds. Um, and I, I don't know if you know about how the project came to be, but no. um, it was quite unorthodox. I, I decided that there was no way on earth I could possibly write another SEO press release without dying. And uh, that was how I was paying my mortgage. And um, I was deeply miserable. And uh, so I had this light bulb moment where I thought, okay, people get 
uh, venture capitalists to give them money to develop in uh, technology companies and ideas and uh, IP. So uh, what if the IP was a series of books? Ah. Could I find someone to invest in, in my next project? And uh, I did. You did indeed. I did. I did. I got a venture capitalist to uh, sponsor me um, and invest in me so I could uh, finish my day job and write full time. And I wrote the first book. Um, I wrote several of the short stories. And uh, I went to Adam Christopher's book launch in January last year. Yes. And um, there I was having a chat with Paul Cornell, who was just so lovely. <laughs> and um, he asked what I was up to. And I, I told him about this thing I'd done. And he said, well, well, goodness, um, you should probably tell Lee. That's, that's Lee over there from Angry Robot. And I'm a huge, <laughs> huge Angry Robot fan. And I love, like, you know, everything they do. They're just fabulous. And... Um, I thought, well, I can't say anything because this is my friend's book launch. It would be really <laughs> desperately awful <laughs> to go over and try and monopolize his editor's attention. That, that would just be the lowest of the low. So I thought, well, at some point in the future, I will. And um, then Lee went to catch his train and he missed it. And by the time he came back to the bar, there was only a couple of us. And um, I asked Adam if it would you know, be okay for me to tell him. And he said, oh, yes, go ahead. Because so, um, Adam's said, a sweetheart. He is, he is just so lovely. And um, so I said, well, Paul said I should tell you what I got up to last summer. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it sounded very dodgy. Um, but I got a venture capitalist that's funding a, um, an urban fantasy series that I'm writing. And he just gave me a look like I was utterly insane. <laughs> <laughs> he said, what? You did you what? You what? You did what? What? <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't it. and uh, so I talked it through with him and he asked lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of questions. And I think I was just such a bizarre curio of a person. He just <laughs> wanted to find out more. And so he was curious and he said, well, could I have a look? And I thought, my goodness, an editor from Angry Robot being a beta reader, that is just gold. <laughs> yes, win. <laughs> so, yes, yes, of course. <laughs> And then uh, we met at a convention about four, three months later or so. And uh, uh, I said to him, like, I've got this other idea. Can I? And he said, feel free to pitch it. So I pitched this idea and he, he listened and he said, oh, I really like the sound of that. But the split worlds, can we have it? <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would really like to put it through acquisitions. And so um, I had to uh, come home and talk to my investor and uh, you know, work out what to do about everything, and we came up with a, a new arrangement, and um, it went through acquisitions, and they acquired the series. Wow. Kids, don't try this at home. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm officially petitioning, Emma, that next to the word unorthodox in, in the Webster's Dictionary, your picture be posted. That's, you, you've introduced venture capitalist into the writer's uh, uh, strategy book, and that, I think, has never been done before. That's awesome. I just... <laughs> I really wish that I'd had a camera at the time when I first told Lee his face was just so priceless. <laughs> but anyway, when, when I was doing it by myself, I thought, right, okay, I've got to, I'm world building. I'm working very hard to, to world build before I, um, and during writing the first novel. But as I'm doing this by myself, because I was effectively creating my own small press and self-publishing, um, I need to find an audience for the books. And I need to also... Um, show people what I feel is urban fantasy because when you say urban fantasy to people, ten different things pop up in their sure, heads. Sure, sure. You know, it's one yeah. of those, those sub-genres that 
really has got so many of its own sub sub genres that you, you can be talking about urban fantasy and realize that your your conceptions of it are completely different sure so i thought well i'll release a story uh once a week for a year and a day and that sounds kind of fairy tale-y i like that that fit <laughs> <laughs> sounded good at the time yeah yeah i can do this i can write all these novels and all these stories at the same time <laughs> yeah i'm quite tired <laughs> But successful, but, I, but successful. So, so Split Worlds is coming out in March from Angry Robot. Everybody's yeah, looking for that. It's called Between Two Thorns is the first novel of the series. Ah. It's the Split World series, and the first novel is called Between Two Thorns. Very good, very good. What, what else? Are you still submitting short stories to anthologies and for publication elsewhere? Heavens, sir, what, how many hours do you think there are in the day? <laughs> I, I, I expect <laughs> nothing less from you, ma'am. <laughs> now, I, I'm, I'm finding that a story a week, and I'm, I've just done some rewrites on book two. Book one is uh, obviously ready to rock. Um, book two, um, I've just finished the, the last rewrites, hopefully. And I'm currently, I'd hit the 91,000 words mark yesterday on mm. the third novel in the series. Holy smokes. So, um, yeah, I've been writing. So in like, I don't know, 14 months, I think it is, I've written almost three novels and 45 short stories. <laughs> um, so I am not submitting to anthologies. No, okay, very good. <laughs> I, 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 can, I can certainly see that. So that's awesome. So however long the wait has been to get the, the Split World series out there, once it's out there, you're already working on book three, so it's going to be bam, bam, bam. The, the, the wait won't be long. Oh, it won't. And um, one of the things that I always originally conceived was that there would only be kind of three months between the novels. And one of the things I'm especially thrilled, well, in fact, every aspect of the Angry Robot deal thrills me. But <laughs> something I was very pleased about is that there's only three months between uh, books one and two and then four months between books two and three. Excellent. Um, so all three books are going to be published this year. It's going to be a year of Emma Newman. A year of the split worlds, I would prefer to Okay, think. very good. Split <laughs> what about uh, conventions and conferences? I'm, I'm assuming you have a few of those planned. Oh, goodness, yes. Um, <laughs> yes, with three books coming out, um, I am doing lots of conventions. I'm, I'm doing two U.S. conventions this year as well. Really? Do tell. Yes. Um, I, well, last year I went to Worldcon for the very first time in Chicago, and I had such a splendid time. I'm going to do that again this year. Okay, in San Antonio. Um, that's right. Yep, it's in San Antonio, and I'm also planning. I, I, you know, I'm dithering, but you know, I think I am going to. I'm going to do Convergence. Ah, which very good. Is in Bloomington, isn't it? Um, yes, Bloomington, Minnesota. Minnesota, Mon yes. yes. Um, because I'm a friend of Paul Cornell, who um, says that it's his favorite convention, um, wow. and he's really sung its praises. And the theme this year is the British are coming. The yes, British I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> Well, we will, so, we will see you there, or I will see you there, Brian. I still, I'm still coaxing Brian. He sees with newborn son, all of that. But, uh, oh, Brian, well, bring yeah. him with you, Brian. Hey, <laughs> join us. Join us. Not a bad idea. Yes, yes, baby in arms. Definitely. What about uh, British cons and conventions? Yes, um, there are quite a few. Um, there's a very teeny tiny, fairly local one called MicroCon um, that I'm doing at the end of February, and then the big Sci-Fi Weekender. Um, the one that Gareth mentioned. Gareth is yes. also a friend yes. of mine. He's so lovely. He's such a lovely bloke. So I'm really looking forward to that so we can hang out together. Um, and there's Easter Con. Um, I've actually, would you believe I have a spreadsheet? It's 
<laughs> oh my god i know that's, I that's know. like planning emma careful I know, really. I, I've never planned anything like I've planned this, but I suddenly realized I was getting into such a terrible tiz about whether I'd booked things or not booked things. <laughs> so, yeah, there's EasterCon and then there's um, a one-day convention called Edge Lit, which is in Derby in England, and that was splendid last year, so I'm doing that again. Then it's Convergence WorldCon and then BristolCon, which is my closest local convention, which is small and perfectly formed. <laughs> and um, then World Fantasy Con, which is in the UK this year at Brighton. And that we're going to try and get to as well, because we, we've made so many marvelous connections across the great pond that yeah. it, it, it's, time to, it's time to hug and shake hands and, and have some eye contact. So True. Awesome. I'm so glad that you're going to be at Convergence, because one of the things I was worried about was that I would only know Paul. And of course, I can't limp it myself to the pop chat for the entire <laughs> event. So uh, if I know other people there, that makes me very, very happy. Yeah, well, and it's, Emma, just from the short time that we've known you, while you may go in, just knowing Paul and us, I'm betting by the time you leave, you're going to know a lot more. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> Well, we will make sure that all of that awesomeness gets into the liner notes so that people can can follow the 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 adventures of uh, Split World Series and Emma Newman as they make their way into the world. But for right now, what I'd like to do is take a brief pause and share some airtime with another fabulous podcast or or Kickstarter campaign or ebook. Uh, and when we return, we shall workshop a story. Sound good? Sounds excellent. Brilliant. I like it too. Friends, don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. High School Nobody Cannon is doing just fine in the midst of the zombie apocalypse, thank you very much. But when his dream girl Katie comes stumbling around the corner, she turns his world upside down as they embark on a nightmarish road trip that leads to the very source of the plague of the walking dead. The Zombie Driven Life by David Wood is an action-packed horror tale loaded with dark humor and The Walking Dead. Jeremy Bishop says, The Zombie Driven Life gives zombie fans everything they love about the genre. Gore, desperate situations, and a big body count. And Necroscope says, Well-written and highly entertaining. Definitely one to add to the private library. Pick up The Zombie Driven Life by David Wood on Audible, iTunes, or wherever books and ebooks are sold. Lords and ladies of the Roundtable Podcast, welcome back to the fifth chair, I think is what we should start calling it, uh, especially with all of the, uh, the interaction that we've been having from <laughs> some of our audience members. Indeed. Fabulous. And, uh, and let's, let's get into this, uh, this workshop part of this episode. I'm totally down with that. Brian, our, our guest yeah. writer, without whom the round table does not happen, has been writing since fourth grade and published a short story in a teen lit magazine in high school. And though poetry ain't her thang, uh, she did publish a poem called How to Amuse Yourself During Math. Uh, which, Emma, that sounds like something that you might have uh, enjoyed in your day. Um, <laughs> uh, she's done theater uh, from the age of 7 to 18, and her last gig w was actually a paying gig, which exalts her to the top of the 3% of the actors in the world who actually got paid for acting. 
Um, like our guest host, she is a colossal nerd. Uh, having read all of Neil Gaiman's novels in the course of a single month, uh, she buys books wow. like some people buy groceries and fights with herself over which is better, Doctor Who or Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, <laughs> and as a child, she would send her pet monster back in time in a homemade time machine. And to this day, she still believes that the key to time travel is an etch-a-sketch. Uh, so, dear friends, please welcome to the slightly smaller but no less comfy chair, writer's chair at the round table, Sarah Sambrook. Sarah, welcome and thank you so much for sharing a story for the workshop. We deeply appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. I'm <laughs> you, you're so an actor. excited. <laughs> well, so are we. And, and you're an actor and you're oh, a nerd. Yeah. I mean, you fit the profile to a T. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so writing since you were four real or fourth grade, I mean, that's that's deep subconscious con conviction there. Any idea where that came from? Um, I think it started really because uh, my fourth grade teacher, ah. um, she made us write two stories. Um, but and I thought I was awesome because I wrote three stories instead of two. <laughs> Um, you little <laughs> overachiever, you. And before I even knew what, what it was called, um, two of those stories were actually fan fictions. One for the Babysitter's Club, which oh, I was wow. huge into back then. Yeah. And then one for a cooking show. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. What, what was that one called? Um, it was, it was the, it was, this was back in the day. It was a cooking show called how to boil water. <laughs> um, yeah, it, 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 it was about, um, he had a pepper shaker that was shaped as a dog. So he called it pepper dog and the evil pepper mill would be there, uh, and I don't, I don't even remember, but I just remember this. <laughs> we're, we're, we're already engaged. We're already. <laughs> and you know how we are about, about food metaphors. So we're all over that. That's, that's awesome. Um, and, and you brought a story idea uh, yes. uh, for workshop. I mean, excellent. Uh, let's get into that delightful part of the Roundtable podcast. Sarah, we're going to give you five to eight minutes. Give us the title the genre, the format, whether it's a short story or a novel or a series of novels, introduce us to the world, introduce us to your protagonists and antagonists, give us some basic signposts of the story idea, and then we'll rip into a workshop. Ma'am, we're going to turn the mic over to you. It's all yours. Great. Okay. The working title of this story is Wicked Witch. The genre is alternate earth urban fantasy, um, this book is potentially the first in a trilogy and in a novel format. Uh, the hook is, in a world where humans and witches live together in a precarious treaty, a teenage girl defies her family by accepting her powers as a witch and must choose between friendship and righteousness or forbidden love and wickedness. And I like to describe this as Dexter meets Harry Potter with elements of Highlander. Awesome. <laughs> the major themes are to get love, and by love I mean family, friends, as well as romance. Um, and also right and wrong are a matter of perspective. In this world, witches are known to exist, and I'm still trying to decide how long ago they came out of the broom closet. <laughs> <laughs> 
So the magic system, um, there are mages. They use potions, and they are the most widespread type of witch. Ritualists, they're seen as religious freaks more than witches, and their magic does not have a high success rate. There are enchanters. They use charms such as wands and crystals, and their magic is limited to the power of the charm. And they're casters. They conduct magic through their bodies, and they use familiars to store extra energy. And lastly, there are necromancers, and that's magic through sacrifice, especially blood. In this world, they're very rare, and they're almost extinct. The protagonist is Avery West. She's an 18-year-old senior in high school. She is close with her family, and she's part of the popular crowd in school, but will lose that position when she accepts her powers as a caster. Her main motivation in the beginning is to get love, but slowly her motivation starts twisting into a need for power. Um, Jack Parker is the mentor and romantic interest. He's a caster, and he's helping manipulate Avery to the dark side by making her think it's the good side. He's the one who convinces Avery to accept her powers. Hannah Klein becomes one of Avery's best friends while they're both learning how to use their magic. Hannah is a caster from a ritualist family, and her family shuns her for leaving the ritualists. This is something that makes Avery and Hannah become close. Max Bentley is Avery's other best friend. He's a caster from a long line of casters. His family supports him, and he's happy-go-lucky and a little goofy. He'll actually end up being the hero to Avery's villain. Um, some possible antagonists, because I'm not really sure exactly who the main antagonist is, but there's currently a nameless big bad. He wants witches to overtake the humans. And then there's Lorraine West. She's Avery's mom. She's a high-ranking political official with an anti-witch agenda. She views magic as destructive and corruptive. And then there's Ralph West. He is Avery's dad. He's a biochemist looking for a cure for magic. So the story. The media worships magic, but there are many humans who do not like witches and don't think they should have the same rights as humans. And some even think that witches shouldn't exist at all. Teens have to undergo a test to see whether or not they have magical ability. After the test, if they do have magic, they have to decide whether they want to keep their powers or bind them. If they want to keep them, they have to seek a mentor. Avery has reached that age where she has to take the test, and she already knows that she's a witch. She's heartbroken about this because when she uses magic, she feels like she's really herself. But she knows that if she decides to become a witch, she will never be able to talk to her family again. She takes the test, which is conducted by Jack Parker, and yes, she's a witch. He offers to mentor her, and she says she'll think about it. Before the decision ceremony, a mob of anti-witch extremists burn a witch in town. The witch happens to be Avery's best friend at the time, Jenna. Avery jumps into the flames, and the fire starts to go out as Avery absorbs the energy of the flames. Jack pulls her out and freaks out about what she did in front of the crowd. Avery, at this point, agrees to have Jack mentor her because she can't believe that someone would kill an innocent person just because they're a witch. Her parents do not speak to her as she leaves. 
While being mentored, Avery meets Hannah and Max. They form a close bond as they train together. And here things happen, and I have no idea what they are yet. Um, but we also, <laughs> we also learn that Avery's father is perfecting a cure for magic that will turn witches human. So far in the testing process, the witches involved have died. This is especially puzzling because witches can be bound from their powers, but they still live. So Ralph theorizes that those who are bound still have the potential for magic. He decides to start testing the cure on ma- magic-bound humans. And here's, that's where things start getting really fuzzy for me. I know I want Avery to make bad decisions that slowly start pulling her into the wrong direction, but I'm having trouble thinking of what conflicts get her to that point. And I'm also having problems integrating the big bad. My idea is that the big bad makes a really bad thing happen to Hannah, and Avery snaps and kills him for it. And because she kills him, she gains his powers, a la Highlander, um, something else that will taint her and lead her and lead to her downfall. Um, basically, the whole idea of this is to see the journey of a villain, how she becomes one and why she becomes one. Wow. That's rich. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> okay. Um, Excellent. Well done, Sarah. Uh, very cool story idea. Sweet. Um, before we go any further, I think we, we, we have some good good food to chew on there. But Brian, if you would be so kind, uh, cover our ass, would you? I, I will certainly try. Um, in the, the course of this discussion, there will be a lot of things that are said by either myself or Dave or our fabulous guest host, Emma. And you are under absolutely zero obligation to take any of the suggestions, but we hope that you will uh, at least gain some inspiration from some of them um, because they, they might be gold or they might be complete and utter bullshit. Indeed. <laughs> you cool with that, Sarah? Yes. Excellent. Very good. Then uh, let's get into this. Uh, we customarily start uh, with a quick round around the table with first impressions and a few questions of clarification. Uh, uh, and we'll lead off with our esteemed guest host. So, Emma, uh, what were your first impressions of Sarah's story idea? And did you have any questions that would help clarify some of the, the plot points or character arcs that she described there? Yes, yes, yes. I'm very excited. Um, thank you for sharing it, um, Sarah, because that is a really scary thing to do, um, to, yeah. to you know, just give your story. I, when I first started listening to the podcast, I remember thinking, there's no way on earth I would ever do that. So curious <laughs> you. Um, and yes, I am very excited about this story because it feels, and I don't want to say, oh, this is just like, because when, you, when you're an author and you have this idea and it's the most precious thing in the world having someone coming over and saying oh that's just like that Muppets episode where da 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 no but I, I have to say that it, it ignites the same circuits in my brain as X-Men and I love X-Men yes. um, in terms of that world of um, people with power um, being feared and, and hated and shunned and decisions about whether to go with what you are naturally and how that can have ramifications on your life. I think those are really powerful universal themes um, that will be tapped into in this story, which I, I think are great. Um, so I do have a few questions. Um, I don't know if it's the right time to ask it, and um, please feel free to verbally slap me if it, it is the wrong time. <laughs> but um, I was wondering whether this is a young adult book 
or um, if you'd even thought about market or anything like that, because it does affect, as far as I'm concerned, various plot decisions and character motivations later on. Absolutely. No, that's a great question. That That's something that I've been going back and forth with, actually, because I kind of want to make this dark, and I don't know if if it can be YA and be as dark as I want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm still up sure. in the air. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I, as I explained before, I kind of stumbled into knowledge about YA in, like, draft three of, of 20 years later. So I think that's something that you can decide later. And, and I think these days YA can go pretty damn dark. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah true that. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've got murder and all kinds of things. So, yeah, I, I think that um, it might be one of those things that you just kind of feel as you, as you move through working through the book. So that's cool. That's fine. I was just thinking about their ages and the kind of um, crises that they're facing in the book do sound like kind of YA identity mm-hmm. crisis things, which are obviously critical themes, especially mm-hmm. in that age group, Absolutely. but also pretty universal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm really fascinated by the idea of the book um, and presumably the trilogy as a whole being an investigation of the journey of a villain, because the first question I had when you said that was, what is she the antagonist against? What is she going to act against? If she's the villain, who is she right. fighting and why? Because in this world that you're talking about, um, and, and relating it back to the, the kind of the X-Men division in their world, in the X-Men, the mutants are sympathetic to the audience, um, and the people who are being horrible to the mutants are the kind of the villainous aspects of, of the, the kind of the world. Mm-hmm. So in your setup, if you have to, um, I think w- one of the things that has to be clear in my mind at this stage is where are you trying to focus the sympathy of the reader? Is it going to be with the magic people, with the, with the witches and the, the magic holders? Or is it going to be with the other side? Is it going to be both? Which, which could be done, which would be much harder. Mm-hmm. Because if you're going to investigate how she becomes set against one of them, we have to understand her position against it and have the against, if that makes sense. Yeah. What, you know, do, you, what do you think, yeah. Sarah? It's, it's another thing that I've been... It, it's such it's so delicate to to balance between wanting to have a a protagonist that the reader likes and mm-hmm. wanting her to be bad okay so it's, well, let's, let's it's put something that on the that's table. been hard yeah you know I, I think yeah. you know we, yeah. we've got Brian here so we know where that's going to go <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but uh, uh but I think that's I think those are valid points that that maybe in exploring the plot and the characters and their specific motivations, something will turn up. Let's, let's do that. Excellent. Did you have any other uh, questions for the first round, Emma? Uh, no, I think something that could probably wait till the next round is, is um, perhaps getting more into the nuts and bolts of her decision to be mentored by Jack. I wasn't very clear about that, but perhaps that's better for the next round. I think so. I think yeah. so. Let's, let's hold that for now. Master Humphrey, sir, your first impressions and any questions? i like this one a lot um okay so a couple things one is when you started off and you talked about how there's basically it's friendship and righteousness versus forbidden love and wickedness and my and this kind of this plays pretty much directly into i think what emma was talking about um my first inclination was oh friendship and righteousness is is died and forbidden love and wickedness is the bad side and then as you went through 
I had no interest in the friendship and righteousness side. It seemed like everybody on that side was stuffy and pretentious and, and you know, there was really nothing pulling me toward that. And so I, I have a couple questions. One is, um, if she's on her way to, to villainhood and that's ultimately what the story is about and that's, that's what we want as the ultimate manifestation, then is this only an origin of a villain or will we see the emergence of a diametrically opposed hero as well? We, we will see the hero. Um, my intention is actually for her friend Max to become the hero. Okay, okay. And then um, the other thing that I wanted to say about that and is that if she's truly going to become the villain, um, but she is the character that we are following, I think we need to... It, the, the, the friendship and righteousness side, or the, or the, the good side... Um, has to be appealing to us to the point where we want her to choose that. But okay. then, by the, by the end, we see no other option than for her to, to go to the dark side. So we have, to, we have to totally accept the decision that she makes, but not like it. Yeah. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, I agree yeah. with that. Yep, yep, yep. Excellent, excellent. Um, for myself, Sarah, the thing that, that most engage well, not most engages me, one of the many things that engages me about this story is the notion of presenting a contemporary world where magic is real. Mm-hmm. And I think that, uh, uh, that doesn't really, uh, it, it, in, your, in your pitch, and I realize the pitch is incredibly abbreviated, um, uh, but that didn't, uh, uh, appear too much in there. And this might be one of those instances where Dave gloms onto something that really has nothing to do with the story. Um, but I think that one of the, one of the very cool things that you can explore is, is an understanding of how would the world be changed by the existence of magic and having magic be a regulated, uh, uh, asset or skill in the world. I mean, Mike Cole did uh, uh, the the Control Point series where the the magic is in the military, um, and you can take a very different look where it's more mainstream and and figuring out how it is that the wizards just haven't taken over the world. Uh, that's that's one of my first big questions: is why haven't the wizards just said, "Fuck y'all, mundanes, we're taking over"? Uh, uh, what uh, what has stopped right. that from happening? Do you know? I don't know yet. Okay. All right. That's on the <laughs> table then. We can talk about that. Um, right. Right. And I really appreciate, Emma, you bringing up the YA topic because, Sarah, as, as, as was pointed out, you know, the ages of your characters uh, uh, mark at least send up a YA flag. Mm-hmm. Uh, but having mom and dad as the antagonists uh, uh, pulls down that flag almost instantly. Um, because that's, that's, I, I, that would be, that would be a real challenge, I think, to spin that. However, I'm wondering, and I'm just going to put this out. Well, no, let me ask one question first. Mm -hmm. Um, Sarah, and this is not in the context of the story, but for you as a person, what does magic in fantasy stories, in, in genre fiction, whatever, just the concept of magic, what does that mean to you? Wow. Um, yeah, the hard question, right out the gate. There we go. <laughs> that is a hard question. Magic is a place where imagination becomes can become real, where yes. where thoughts can become tangible things. Absolutely. Yes, I completely agree. I can totally get behind that conceptually. 
as what magic is. How it manifests, it doesn't matter. We can work with that. Um, yeah. But it seems like uh, with, with that concept, if we translate that into the story, uh, if magic conceptually, and I'm talking like way in the background, if we're talking that magic is expressed creativity, if it is that, that spirit that, that's deep inside of every human to create and make stuff, then if, if that is the, the, the essence that we want to go with, then the magicians have instantly become the protagonists. Right. They are the champions and the expression of uh, uh, the ultimate form of creativity and, and exploration of, of possibility. Um, and with that in mind, uh, instantly I set that up and say, yes, but we can't have that right off the bat. And I'm starting to ramble. Um, uh, uh, I, I, I too want to explore Jack Parker. Um, is Jack a part of an organization or a school? Uh, uh yeah, yes. He's, he's part of an organization. Um, my idea is that he is somehow aligned with the big bad, um, in a very, very early thought process of this story. Okay. Um, I also had some time travel in it so i was thinking that the big bad was actually a future version of jack okay but all right but i don't know how i really but i've kind of taken away time at this point but i kind of like the idea that um he he has two sides to him where he's great with avery but then deep down he's really just not a good person okay okay and, and just real quick, is that organization corporate or academic? Is it a corporation that trains people, or is it a university that enlightens people? That's a, um, hmm. another question on the table. Well, because I, I originally thought of, of having, you know, magic school, but then it, there's so many things... Out, so many stories out there, so many movies, TV shows where there's a magic school. So I wanted to try to think of a, a slightly different way. Sure. To, and, to do and, that. and when with the contemporary feel of everything, making it a corporation might actually be able to bring a more sinister sense to it. I don't know. Mm, um, sure. actually, I kind of and I like the mentoring that. aspect too. Yeah. 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 yeah mm-hmm. Very much so. Very much so. And I will just say the, the notion that when you kill a mage, you get their power. Awesome. Uh, we can play with that as well. Uh, but I'm going to hand off now back to you, Emma. Uh, you wanted to explore a little bit about Jack Parker, yes? Yeah, I did. Um, because I'm not certain um, whether he is bringing in the kind of uh, dangerous love aspect. Is, is he the one that you're thinking is going to do that? Uh, that was the intention, yeah. Because, um, and this is, I'm quite reluctant to say this, but that I, I want to shy away from that. Um, and my reasoning is because um, we see so many men in positions of power leading the girl astray. Yeah. And, um, and that being the whole kind of, you know, whether we're looking at a Fifty Shades of Grey phenomena, you right. know, right through to other kind of things where you have the, the, the all-knowing, the powerful guy and the girl falls for him. And I would ri- really like to see something different be done with that. Um, whether uh, another person could be the one who leads him leads her astray, um, but I think I would like to see a disentanglement of his position of power with the illicit romance. Okay, um, that yeah. is just a personal opinion, but um, I, I think that's something which 
I've seen an awful lot of and I've seen it in television and in books and things like that and um, I know that it's probably actually something that the market would be very keen to have um, and I know that there are a lot of readers out there that love that kind of stuff and look for it in particular flavours of urban fantasy and that I'm really weird and geeky and I don't like romance. <laughs> so, you know, fee- please feel free to ignore me um, on that. But that's something that I'm not very comfortable with. Well, let, me, um, let me throw out a, a, a what if and see if we can't give Jack a little tighter uh, fit into the, into the story. Um, what if uh, uh, back in the day, and I'm not talking you know generations ago, but like ten years ago or whatever, uh, there was some sort of activist event, uh, something like Kent State or Tiananmen Square or something along those lines, where Avery's mom was got her her first thrust into the limelight, where she took some dramatic action uh, against some protesting mages. Mm-hmm. And Jack's brother, Jack's mother, Jack's sister, somebody close to Jack, maybe his lover, uh, uh, was in that event and was one of the casualties thereof. Uh, mm-hmm. And the reason that Jack gloms on to Avery is because he sees her as a leverage into the world of Avery's mom, where they can actually, where he has. I'm not sure that at that point the idea falls apart, but somewhere that he can use Avery to to get back at or to reclaim what his lover, sister, mother was trying to get uh, and then discover, wow, she's actually kind of a, a cool, outspoken girl. Maybe I don't want to use her. That type of thing. Does that help at all? Yeah, that's that's awesome, actually. Yeah, I really <laughs> like that. I really like that because it adds another layer of motivation that's not romantic. Right, yeah. um, and right. I think that's one right. of the things that I'm very um, tired of in in male female relationships in in lots of books is that that is just the only axis upon which they operate with each other, sure. um, and that men and women can have different kinds of relationships and incredibly complex relationships without any recourse to any romantic tomfoolery. Absolutely, yeah. and, and um, it also gives Jack the capability of introducing one of the many revelations that will be in your story. Because up to this point, there, there's probably been a massive cover-up and lots of lots of PR about this event, and the world has gone on as though it's this one thing. And Jack, for your reader and for Avery, can be the person that pulls away the 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 pretty cloak that hides everything and exposes the seamy underside of government control or whatever the issue is. Mm, I, yeah, I really like that. Cool. There was there was something um, when you were talking about um, whether there could be an event in the past that suddenly made me think about um, a direction that would be, or something that I would like to see in more books, which is a more accurate reflection of the way that social movements work in the world. Yes. Um, because at the moment, in a lot of film and in a lot of books, you have two camps we are the mutants, or we hate mutants. Mm. And then you may have a few characters who are kind of in the middle, who, who are conflicted, but there are fundamentally two camps. And you pick one or you dither between the two. I like to see multiple factions. And I would like to, if you could pull it off, and my God, it would be really hard, so I don't envy you. <laughs> but whether you could ever try in a book to kind of reflect the social pendulum effect, where over periods of time, we have extremes of social behavior and then you have a minority that rail against it convince the majority to change their ways and the pendulum swings far in the other direction so we see it with with feminism over the 20th century 
Um, we see it with all kinds of uh, things that are acceptable in public and not acceptable in public. Personal and, and liberties. Attitudes, personal liberties, exactly. That we see cyclical changes over longer periods of time. So I think it could be really interesting to have multiple factions within the magic holders and multiple factions within the humans. Absolutely. And, and to, to have kind of political um, and perhaps military and um, romantic conflicts that has suddenly have a lot more depth and a, a far richer fabric to play with. And it was you talking about her, the mother being involved in something years ago, that you suddenly have a historical context and you have like a big stone in the past and the ripples that echo out from that over the generations can be really cool stuff to play with. Right, and, and that's, that's what was capturing my attention at the initial pitch. What do you think of that, Sarah? Is that, something that, is that something that you had intended to explore at all? Is that something you think that would be worth pursuing? Um, I'd thought a little bit about, like, very, very, very small scheme of, 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 of what you just said, Emma, and this just, like, bumped it up so much. Oh, man. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. so, so my, my mind is just, like, swirling right now. <laughs> <laughs> We're only halfway done. Holy crap. Here we go. <laughs> Brian, what do you got, man? What do you, what do you want to dig into a little bit? Um, well, what, one thing that's, that I want to throw out there just as a personal opinion, I think at this point, because of everything else that we've been talking about, I think the big bad is kind of superfluous in this particular piece. Yeah. Um, maybe he should come in later, but I think that, that to have this other overarching massive darkness out there um, kind of uh, takes our attention away from, from the locality of, of the characters that you've created because I think that you can do some really amazing villainous things with characters that you already have. Yes, I um, agree. Another uh, another thing that I wanted to to throw out is not throw out but to to toss toward you is um, Ralph West, her father. I mm -hmm. love that character, and I think that <laughs> that you could do something really cool with him, where he you know it's it's okay for there to be a villain on both sides, and for both she and her father to be villainous in their own ways. But I think that if if we make him like if we use him to help us kind of set up the sympathetic side the, the you know the good side that we we want her to go toward where in the beginning you know she's questioning you know why would you want to take magic away from people and he takes her into a magic burn ward where these children are you know half melted and and that magic is causing birth defects and there's teens that are untrained or unregulated or undocumented who are imprisoned for accidentally destroying their parents in just an argument and all of these things that have gone wrong with magic that we look at and we go damn that's true maybe magic is bad and then we don't see that what he's actually doing in his experiments with these witches that that are dying and and maybe dying in really horrible ways but she doesn't see that side until later and so at first he's sympathetic and he's somebody that we get behind and we go oh yeah no he's right and then later it turns out that the way that he's going to it is what makes him that ultimate villain uh, yeah so that but I, you and I you just sparked to... something very cool for me um uh now i'm thinking about her mother her uh, avery's mother um mm -hmm. who is mm -hmm. lorraine right yes okay lorraine political uh 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 not maybe i don't know how ruthless maybe she is but definitely ambitious and and very honest i mean if she's she believes that magic is a problem uh, and I think ultimately maybe it has to be. I think maybe what Emma was talking about, that that unbalancing effect that, that ebbs and flows uh, uh, might be something very important. 
Um, but she's she's a political uh, creature. She she you know maybe she's going for president. Maybe she's going for for whatever congressman, whatever big thing coming up. The notion that her daughter is coming up for her test has got to be a point of incredible concern for her. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if maybe her and dad, mom and dad, have been cooking up a special batch of dad serum and have been dosing her for years to try and suppress the magic thing. And the thing is, is that the test backfires and makes her one of the most powerful mages in the universe. And that's puts her on everybody's radar. Yes. (laughs) Sure. There there was something you were talking about. If, um, I, I'm, I, oh, I'm, I'm excited about this. You know, you were talking about the father taking her to show her all of the bad things that have happened with magic. Mm-hmm. Well, what if he's only telling her part of it? And in fact, right. he has been right. identifying all of the things that trigger um, extreme magical responses. And so all of those kids that accidentally vaporized their parents were being hit on the back of the head with a hammer for two days beforehand. And then they suddenly blew their parents <laughs> up. It's like, oh, so that's how much you have to irritate a mage to be able to make them bypass their instincts to protect the people they love. Excellent. But he doesn't tell her about that part <laughs> yeah, of the experiment. Right. He just says, and look, these vaporized their parents. Isn't that awful? Right. And, and you sure. know, deliberately Absolute. twisting her. Because I think that's... That's one of the thi- those. Yeah. I think they are the prime manipulators. They are the potential manipulators of Avery in a particular direction, as in kind of away from magic. And yeah. her breaking. Oh, and isn't that a universal theme of breaking out of the, the kind of the brainwashing and influence of your own parents? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. So which, which brings us again Perfect. back to right. the YA. And one of the things that that we talk about a lot in class is that moment that students have, and I. I I always bring in my class, but um, that moment that students have when they realize that their parents don't know everything and that the things yes. that their parents have been telling them may actually not be true. And that's and a that massive internal be- conflict for her to go through. Yeah, and that they don't have to hold the same beliefs as their parents. Absolutely. And, and right. that kind of self-actualization right. and the separation from the parent um, in terms of you know, psychological development being so important. Well, and the one caution that I would throw in here, I mean, that, that scenario of a parent dosing and drugging their child. And, and, and maybe, maybe Emma and Brian, maybe he's dragging the kid to all of these highly stressful environments to see if the drug is working. Uh, yeah. Does she respond in some way? Cause that, and that gives him subtext then, Sarah, that you can play with in the, in the telling of the tale. But one caution that I want to put out there is that they're doing this because they honestly believe that magic is a bad thing for their daughter, that they right. don't want yeah. to subject her. I mean, and, and, you know, it could be that, that as you explore the social expression of magic and how culture has responded to it, that there are bad things or good things. And, and some parents would not wish that life upon their child and really right. taking a very middle ground that allows a reader to say, no, fuck that. I want to be a mage or, oh God, no, holy crap. I wouldn't want, I can't deal with that. Magic is cool, but damn, ain't no way. And I I think that the, the, oh, oh, sorry, that all of the ideas are trying to come out at once. (laughs) Write it down, write it down. (laughs) Um, Oh, oh, okay. So um, the politicians and the media over the years, I could imagine this ebb and flow that was picked up on before, that if you had people who were either magicians or sympathetic to mages in power, that the world would be very pro-magic. 
but then they would go out, they would die or whatever, and then you could have an anti-magic um, group in power. Just as we've seen kind of political attitudes changing over time where, like in the 80s, right. it was all like, yeah, big money, big money, let's, let's just oil, 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 and now it's all, oh my goodness, austerity and sustainability and we could have exactly that same kind of shifting attitudes with regards to magic depending on who is in power because media controls public perceptions sure and i yes. think that what would be really interesting would be to to have magic actually being a bad thing because it's so often because we all geeks we all want magic powers and we love that kind of stuff we love those stories how many of us have been majors in games sure. you know we all want to be the kid with the superpowers Right. And that's something that we're collectively often in love with in our, mm. our genre. And how interesting to have it where it's actually not. It's well, actually not a good thing. And consider right. the social ramifications. Let's, let's yeah. say that, that in, in, this, in this world, if you're born with magic, you have a certain power. And it's, it's impressive. It's cool. But it's not world-shaking. But there are certain people that you see that rise and seem to have more powers than other people. And knowing in your heart that the only way they've been able to amass that power is by killing, by killing another, another yes. mage. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, How so, many people did the yeah. president murder to become the most powerful Yo, maid and the president sure. of America? Exactly. Now, right. here's something that, that Twig, as we're talking about, these social growth, there has to be something that, that, that triggered this, this sudden... Uh, 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 explosion or, or acceptance or something of magic. Now, I'm, we've all seen Indiana Jones, and we all know that <laughs> Hitler was nuts for the occult. <laughs> so what if prior, and I don't want to invoke World War II, maybe it's something else that you make yourself, Sarah. It doesn't have to be this. Mm -hmm. But prior to World War II, America was violently anti-magic. In fact, led the world in sanctions. They came up with the, the, the snipping uh, uh, technique that you had talked about in your, in your story where, where the magic is shut down and anybody that gets it, bam, you're shut down. But then Hitler says, oh, hell no, I'm going to create a wizard corps. And yes, by all means, kill all these other wizards so you become hyper-powerful. And now the world is in danger. And the only way America and the world can respond to this threat is by allowing magic. And so they, they, they secretly foster magic, and then the magicians are out there, and it's like the post-war, what do we do with all of these people? Well, the post-war, what do we do with all these mages? And now you got the social development and blah, blah, blah. But if nothing else, that creates a cool prequel <laughs> of, <laughs> of going back to World War II and right. saying, how did America fight the Nazis? Blah, blah, blah. Ah, yeah, well, well you, could, you could do it some... Another approach could be looking... I mean, I... One of the things that I've been doing in the split worlds is that there is there is a lot of um, kind of changing reasons behind historical events to assign them to the the factions within the split worlds, um, and so I've become obsessive about various points in history where it's people suddenly change behaviour and change attitudes, and sudden leaps in scientific advancement and the Renaissance and things like that. So you could identify a period in history where there was a sudden explosion in in creativity or. A, yeah. Um, something like that, where it's just something that organically emerged out of humanity. And just like our own technological advances have, that we, especially if you kill people, or perhaps it's something that's genetic as well, 
that um, it becomes more powerful as the years go on, as more and more people kind of trigger this thing in each other, this yes. untapped potential, and that it's it kind of just constantly virus. builds. Yeah, that it builds on itself and builds on itself, just like technology. You know, there are so many people now who are working on technological advancements that it, it has its own movement now. It's its own speed of development. Sure. And maybe there's something akin to that. And that maybe the mages over the years have been being born with stronger and stronger initial powers. So the baseline is rising to maybe a critical point where, holy crap, this is, this is like you say, p- p- kids are vaporizing their parents uh, <laughs> uh, with initial powers. Well, I, I was just going to say, you know, I don't want to go too far toward like Harry Potter and the idea of like a pure blood, but if if you kill a mage and you can get its power from killing it, then I would think that you would be able to draw power from being born of two mages, sure as well, mm-hmm. sure yeah, and maybe that's how it's helping to kind of multiply a bit, and that creates you know um, conflict between uh, to you know not to invoke Harry Potter again, but you know mudbloods and and such and such. So anyway, go ahead. What were you going to ask? I was going to ask you this. Um, uh, in, yeah. in Sarah's world, and Sarah, I'm, <laughs> just sit there, babe. We're, we're working this. We're working this. <laughs> I know, I, I'm, loving every, I'm loving every moment of it. Okay, it's, good. That's why good. I came on. So. <laughs> I, just, I, I need to get Brian's spin on this. Um, in Sarah's world, magic is apparently biologically oriented or hooked some way biologically if a biologist is evolving a cure. Now, I wanted to have you turn that dark, twisted brain of yours onto how that works. How, how as magic as a biological event, is it, is it a gland? Is it, is it an alien virus? Is it, is it a, a possession of sorts? Parasite. A parasite? Don't midichlorians. Yeah, Don't no midichlorians. Don't do it. Don't yes, good point. Right, yes, oh, thank damn. you. Thank you, Emma. You're absolutely right. No <laughs> midichlorians. But what what do you think, Bryce? Is is there a uh, can, can we can we work with that, or or is that working? Do you think? Um, you know, I I always shy away from too much explanation. I think that Ralph himself can can come in with with some explanation of what he's discovered that has allowed himself to create the cure. But I think if there's too much, you know, well. It it you know it started off as a as a, a parasite that was carrying a virus that created a DNA mutation and and we go on and on and on, um, then it just kind of gets a little bogged down and I no yeah. longer have to suspend my disbelief and and I get bored you know I agree um, I agree totally you're right agree. so yeah so that's kind of my just just my take on it yeah. What you got, sorry, Emma? I'm, I'm ooing like a monkey in the background. It's <laughs> marvelous. <laughs> the chimp is at it again. That's right. Ak Ak Nagak has arrived. Yes. I was, I was just thinking about you saying that you don't like things to be explained, and I could not agree more because as soon as the whole midichlorian thing came up, you know, thousands of, of geeks cried out together. And, like, oh. <laughs> no, 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 please, no. And they were silenced it, it as well. It was a terrible yes. moment. <laughs> yeah, it, it was awful. And, and it was for the exact reason, but... One of the things that you could potentially explore to kind of get around this problem but also root it in something real is um, looking at emergent properties in human beings. For example, our brains, big lump of, of gooey jelly stuff, we can look at them, we can cut them up, we can slice them up, we can look at it at a neuronal level and say there's the axon, there's the synapse, there's how the electrical signal is conveyed across. But that is a world away from thinking about Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones and feeling a rush of lust because that thought, it's a perfectly natural thing that a brain could do and that is an emergent property. Having thoughts and memories and feelings and everything like that, we know 
we definitely know stuff happens in the brain, but there is such a big gap between the physical, measurable, you know, biological aspect and the sensation and experience of thought that perhaps magic is the same thing, that magic is an emergent property in some people. Now they can say, well, there must be something to do with their genetics, it might be something to do with their brain, but because it's an emergent property, we can't quite figure it out, which would explain why they're still experimenting, because it's really hard. Absolutely. Really hard to right. nail it down. Sure. Well, and if the brain yeah. is, if the will of the caster is actually shaping the magic, then there is at some point a, a neurological or, or yeah. brain or what, at mm-hmm. some point, but that might just be the bridge between the true magic and so on. And, and I could even see, you know, after this initial trilogy, uh, uh, the breakthrough at the end of the, the third book in the series, the breakthrough that, haha, we have tapped this, this energy field of magic and now we can do magic tech uh, uh, which takes it out of the human hands and brings in that whole cyber uh, dystopian stuff that you love so much Emma um, <laughs> the, uh, uh, of, of the dishumanizing the dehumanizing of magic but that's for the next trilogy um, so yes absolutely very cool sorry all, all I can yes. think of is how now all of a sudden the whole world turns into magic cybermen yes <laughs> yes exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> It's possible. It can happen, man. Holy crap. Well, and, and holy... Uh, uh, all bioengineered holy... by Ralph. <laughs> That's right. Well, yeah, because he gets plugged into the Matrix and becomes an AI, absolutely. And I'm only half joking there. Um, <laughs> guys, holy crap. We, we, this has been fabulous. And I'm looking at the time and it's really winding down fast. And there's, there's so much stuff that we haven't really touched on. Yeah, there's uh, so much we can talk about. Uh, so what I want to do, and, and, and hopefully we can do this. Sarah, I'm going to bre- break from tradition a little bit. Sarah, we're going to go once more around the table. Uh, uh, and have Emma Bryan and myself give you closing thoughts, last thoughts, so on and so forth. You tell us, what would you like those closing thoughts to focus on? Um, I like that we've been talking about the social aspect of everything, Mm -hmm. but um, for me, I really want this to be a character-driven story. Yes. Um, And we haven't touched at all on um, Hannah or Max. Right, right. Um. And so I guess the idea would be, are they really, do do we really need them? And if we do, what sort of ideas um, to make them not just a cookie cutter best friend, to have them not just be Willow and Xander, to have them be more (laughs) of that. (laughs) And we all know what you're talking about. Roger that. (laughs) Okay. So for this closing one last time around the table, let's focus on relationships. Uh, Hannah and Max, certainly, um, but also there's, there's Avery and her parents, there's Avery and Jack, Jack and his bosses, because there's a hierarchy that all this stuff is place, taking place in. So let's, let's give Sarah some good, uh, if nothing else, some, open some doors of possibility on, on what these relationships can become in the context of the story. So, Emma, any, any thoughts along those lines? Yeah, I can completely understand when you're saying, but I don't want it to be about the world building, I want it to be about the characters. But I think they have a symbiotic relationship. Mm. Right. And I think that it's it's actually at the stage that we're at with the story here, this is all still really big, big concept, big high-level stuff. Um, and yes, at these points when I'm developing novels, I will have an idea of some of the protagonists. But it may be that you need to do some more development before the um, other characters fall into place because once you work out other factions 
then you can identify where those characters may come from, how their motivations would be affected by the faction they come from, and then bang, chuck them in a room together and you've got tons of plot. <laughs> so that's, that's another way to perhaps approach it because um, it may just be that you work in a different way and that you, you kind of come at it from the relationship and then you map out those relationships into the wider factions and that's totally cool if that's what you do. But I think my instincts at this stage um, is that there's still at least several hours of arm-waving and ooh-ooh-ooh and <laughs> myth and, you know, things to throw around before you get to that. That being said, when you were in- introducing the characters at the beginning, I really liked the idea that her best friend also had to make the same kind of choice and that's how they related to each other. What I think what I would like to see then is that they did it for different reasons and that they think they have a lot in common, but as they get to know each other more, they don't. Yeah. And that their relationship could evolve in a quite interesting way. Because often we see friendships where people meet each other, they get to know each other, and then they become the ally in the book. Or they, you know, they are the Xanders and the Willows and the other ones that were around Harry Potter. Right. So I would like it if it was actually more complex than that. And it was actually like a, a real friendship where they may kind of sort of fall in love with each other in the way that you do when you meet someone that you really think understands you. Mm-hmm. And then as they are tested and they go through difficult things, maybe start to realize that they made a decision that was the same ostensibly, but was for such different reasons. Can their friendship endure that? Um, that yep. That's just kind of chucking something in as an idea. No, that's excellent. Mm. That's excellent. Yeah. yeah. Brian, yeah. what do you got, sir? Um, okay, two things. I want to start with Jack real fast. And <clears throat> for me, Jack, I think is one of those characters that because we're drawing the line so clearly of protagonist and antagonist all the way through, I really see him, and it's it's almost serendipitous that his name starts with Jack, but I, I see him as kind of a Jack Sparrow character where <laughs> you never really know all the way through which side he's really on, and I, I think like he that. always is looking out for himself, but mm. he's not necessarily a dishonorable person. Some of the things that he does, you kind of go, ooh, he is a villain, but then at the end, it, it turns around and it works out for everyone. And you, you're always kind of wondering whether he always had that in mind in the first place or whether his villainy is kind of amateurish and he screwed up. So I, I think if we're always questioning his loyalty to everyone, whether it be you know, his bosses or her, that makes him kind of a really intriguing character. And, and I like that. Um, as far as Hannah and Max, I think that really like I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm trying to plug them in and I think it really just those things where you wait until you know exactly what the needs of the story are mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. keep the door open and when they walk through the door as long as you keep that door open when they walk in it will be for the right reason and not um, kind of contrived in order to, to generate these characters that you want to have but right. that are at this moment may be superfluous until there is an actual need in the story for them. Yeah. It may be that yeah. they come in in later books. That's always a possibility. Yeah, sure. Well. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Absolutely. Excellent. Excellent. Um, for myself, Sarah, um, uh, I, I'm wondering... There's <laughs> so much to tell you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, uh, a thought occurred that um, I love, I absolutely love the notion that ultimately the arc is Avery going to be the antagonist and Max becoming the hero character 
and mm-hmm. taking the higher road. Um, that, con- uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Juxtaposition, that, that contrast, mm-hmm. um, I think is, is where a lot of your, your story mojo can come from. Um, what if Avery knew Max is, is, is friends with Max? What if Avery is actually very tight with Max uh, uh, and, and M- Jack found out about Avery through Max? Um, furthermore, what if Max and Hannah are lovers and they're tight and Avery has to deal with Hannah, even though maybe she doesn't necessarily like her that much because she has these very aggressive, angry, uh, uh, aspects that she kind of sees mirrored in herself, but is not ready to commit to yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and Max and Hannah's relationship is kind of this, uh, Max walking the bad boy, being a bad boy and dating a girl with tattoos and, and piercings and kinky sex and all of that stuff. Um, and, and having yes, those... Yes, definitely that. Definitely that. <laughs> <laughs> More of that. Steady uh, now. Yeah. <laughs> this is ultimately a geek cast. So. <laughs> um, but having that dynamic in there, that, that, that small circle relationship... Um, Jack, what if Jack is in charge of the organization? He's not an, an underling, but actually he's one of those young, very young entrepreneurs who has gone out of his, uh, has, has blazed the new trail and is creating this organization slash academy uh, uh, to foster these, these new and bright talents. Um, and, and, but ultimately, God, so much. All right, shorten up, Dave, shorten up. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. Uh, the notion of YA keeps rattling around in the back of my head. Mm-hmm. And the idea that in the first book uh, uh, is, is the initial journey of Avery up to the point, you know, are you familiar with the hero's journey where the, the hero goes on the call, goes oh, into yeah. darkness? Okay, <laughs> awesome. So this first book is actually in the larger cycle uh, up to the point right before the hero goes into the underworld okay. and makes the choice to be, in this case, evil. Uh, uh, and your whole arc is setting up the stage, the, 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 the mini relationships, the kind of the pain, the, the choices that bring her to that point. Book two in the underworld, the darkness. She is evil. Something so horrible has happened that, that, that she, oh my God. Uh, uh, yes, she has no choice but to fight and fight hard and, and, and deal death, blah, blah, blah. But then the third book, can we get her into a point of redemption? Because throughout that that whole second book, she's going to be diametrically opposed to Max, her best friend, who is now fighting against her and thwarting her at every turn. And then in the end, in the third book, redemption and bringing her back and coming through that cycle and, and bringing the villain back to a more balanced state. What do you think? Yeah, that... That was a little bit of what I had already been thinking, okay. except okay. Uh, better. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, and then one thing, I, I, I love I events think... that, that have come to a head at the start of the first book. Um, what if we're re- reaching a, a crisis point, a tipping point? If the powers, the initial powers that people are being born with are growing and growing and growing, what if we reach the point where not only is it if you're born with it, but if you're in con- if you're in contact with it, that people are actually the, whatever that emergent quality is, it's, it's evolving in them, whether or not they were initially predisposed towards it. So humanity is at the tipping point where either a, we're going to become mages or B, we're going to retain our humanity and deal with magic in the very dis removed point where we're at. 
uh, have that be the revelation. Have Jack trying to maybe ultimately mitigate that and going about it in a very unscrupulous and nefarious way. Uh, but trying to mitigate that, everything blows up. In in book two, it's the battle of of humanity versus magic, and and within the characters who have magic, as well as the characters who don't. And then I don't know, third book, I don't know. I, I've <laughs> well, I, that, that that works out really well because I also um, had 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 an idea where um, the drug of choice is is witch's brew, and and uh, what it does hmm. is it, it kind of. Um, it, at the time that it works, it gives you a little bit of magic. Okay. Yes. Perfect. Awesome. Cool. And and that would that would raise all kinds of horror signals in parents all around the world. <laughs> Absolutely. Very I cool. I think one of the biggest challenges you've got with the whole taking her into the descent is making her sympathetic enough that the audience will want to stay with her when she's at her worst and will be hoping for her redemption. Yes. Right. Yes. Because if yeah. you can have that emotional investment in the character, even when they are being awful, if there is, if you are still cradling that candle to your chest of hope that they will still come through and do the right thing, yeah. then you've nailed it. Well, and that's that's what kept everybody turning yeah. pages in yeah. the Thomas Covenant series, the 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 Ill Earth War, and and all of that by Stephen Donaldson. Talk about anti-hero! Holy crap! <laughs> so, all right. Oh, all right. There's one yeah. more word that I want to just throw in like a bomb. Um, <laughs> sorry, but religion. How oh, does religion crap. react to oh, magic yeah. being in the world and all of the history <laughs> with witches? And, you know, does yeah, yeah. having magic actually mean you're closer to God or does it make you an abomination? Big decisions. Stay just tuned back for away part from two there. of the Roundtable podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's an right. excellent point. We're- Oh. We may have to make this the first one that we bring back and and continue. Yeah, the conversation, yeah. You know? There's there's so much At more to point. chew into, but I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna have to be the parent in this and and uh, uh, say well. that the, the <laughs> I know the clock has been waving its hand at me saying, dude, dude, you are way over time. But wow. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much. And as Emma pointed yes. out, it's it's never yes. easy to to put your baby out there. But oh my God, we don't get into these kind of frothing creative mojo discussions every day and well actually we kind of do but that's awesome um and and that's usually indicative of a very cool story so um thank you so much sarah we so appreciate that Uh, thank you guys thank you guys um so much because i i I have so much i'm like kind of in a daze right now because there's so many uh things going on in my head i can't even I can't even think or That's speak. <laughs> Mission accomplished. It's a good yeah. thing. Awesome. It's we ride off into the sunset. Yeah, um, our work is done. Now, Sarah, when you write this, when this this gets audio fictioned or, or EPUBed or big sit fived or whatever, uh, please, oh, please, oh, please let us know. We will have you back and we will knight you. We will make you a knight of the round table. That's the deal. <laughs> I am looking forward to that. Oh, because, God. So are we. Um, my, my goal is that will happen. Yes, because so. that means we get to read the story, see? And that's that's what we're all about <laughs> right. around here. Yeah. So, yeah. very cool. Emma, holy crap, this has been a delight and a pleasure and an honor. Thank you so much for, for playing Absolutely. in our sandbox and bringing such awesome story mojo to the discussion. It's just fabulous. It's my absolute pleasure. You have wonderful toys in your sandbox. I want to stay. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. We'll reserve <laughs> a second. There you go. 
all the clean sand goes to your side. We'll make sure it's good. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great fun, and, and thank you for having me along. I've enjoyed it immensely. Absolutely, absolutely. And dear friends, I, I, I'm not even going to ask. I know you had as much fun as we did on this one, uh, and I can hear many of you already shouting at your speakers or your iPod going, but what about? And dear friends, <laughs> that's what the comments in the post are for. Uh, uh, so many of you have been diving in and, and giving just marvelous uh, uh, insights and suggestions and ideas for, for past stories. Please, we encourage you to do the same. I'll make sure Sarah knows when they start flooding in, as I know they will. Um, and uh, while, you're, while you're frothing in, in that bit of delight, do, do show some love for the roundtable and spread the word. Uh, a review on iTunes is awesome. If you find a blog post out there talking about cool podcasts, throw in a link. That's awesome for us. Uh, we're out on Facebook. You can like us there at facebook.com slash roundtable podcast uh, on the Twitter sphere at writers podcast and drop us a line as many of you have. And thank you for that uh, uh, at the table at roundtablepodcast.com. We just got an email from, from Berlin. It's fabulous. We're international. <laughs> so that's just cool. Brian, <laughs> Holy crap, man. Closing thoughts on this one? Oh, my God. There's so much to work with. And I, I think what really made this one awesome for me is that everyone is a villain in some way. Yes, exactly. And I think that that's, that's really, like, when, when you're really looking into character and to, to real humanity, I think everybody is really a villain in some way. And they're a hero. And a hero, way. yes. And absolutely. so I think really playing with that. Um, and that delicate balance is just going to make this brilliant. Yeah, really. um, it already is, but yeah. you know. Yeah. So I, yeah. Yep. So Sarah, thank you so much for bringing it on. And <laughs> I'm 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 already like super super excited to read it when you're done. Yep. Oh, yep. I'll make sure to get it over to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're and me, and, and me. Emma, I yes, want to read please. It. And it's on it's on recording. Want to narrate it? <laughs> Ooh, now you're Ooh. talking. See, and that's as long as they they have British accents. Of course, I can't do an American accent. Really, I, I really can't. That's okay. A British accent elevates everything to to Shakespearean levels. So <laughs> I, I think we're done. With that's that. right. Yes. <laughs> Sarah, I'll be your I'll be your broker. We'll 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 work oh. this thing out. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, friends, we're all sitting here going, wow, that was freaking awesome. And you know what? It ain't over. I mean, maybe this chapter is, is going to be closed until we get it up and there's posts. But in a couple of days, we're going to do it all over again. More awesome, amazing guest hosts, more courageous guest writers bringing their courage and creativity to the table, more roundtable goodness, more mojo inspired across the globe. Ah, but that's just a couple of days away. That's that You're going to have to find something to fill your time uh, between now and the next drop of awesomeness. Brian, any suggestions on what that might be? Uh, yeah, stop wasting time and go write. Yeah, hello, because we, we got stories we want to read. Yours! Uh, That's right. So, That's right. so friends, you find what you're looking for. Look for amazing. Look for wow. I promise you will find it. Uh, this has been a genuine delight, friends. We will see you in a couple of days to continue the mojo rising. Until then, you guys stay cool, be frosty, be awesome, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This episode is copyright 2013 by the Roundtable Podcast and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means don't sell it, but you can share it all you like. And you can even use pieces of it in your own derivative work. 
as long as you attribute us as the source and release the work under the same licensing terms. Theme music composed and performed by the talented Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David Labroyer, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you'd like to be a guest writer or guest host, or learn more about the Roundtable Podcast, please visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com or visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Our Twitter tag is at writerspodcast, or you can send us an email at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.